What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi everyone, in this episode I was so excited to spend an hour with the incredibly inspiring Hugh van Kallenberg, best-selling author, founder of The Resilience Project and co-host of The Imperfects podcast. After reading The Resilience Project book and relating so much to everything Hugh speaks about, I just knew I had to meet him and invite him on the podcast. In 2008, Hugh was fortunate enough to spend a few months living and volunteering in a small community in the far north of India with no running water, no electricity and no beds. Everyone slept on the floor. Despite the fact this community had very little to call their own, Hugh was continually blown away by how happy they were. It was this experience and his years of study after that that led him to discover that practicing gratitude, empathy or kindness, and mindfulness can lead us to a happier and more fulfilling life. After learning this, Hugh decided to make it his mission to share these simple and highly effective well-being strategies with young people through a program for schools. Ten years on, Hugh and the Resilience Project are in high demand, delivering emotionally engaging programs to schools, sports clubs and businesses, teaching practical evidence-based mental health strategies to build resilience and happiness. It is such important work Hugh is doing and I can't wait for you to hear his story and our chat where you will discover the simple and wonderful power of embracing a regular gratitude practice, how empathy and mindfulness are also key ingredients for living a happier life, how your purpose is so closely linked to what brings you joy, and if your purpose is linked to helping others, it can even be more powerful, the importance of understanding your passions and values, ideas on how you can manage when those close to you are going through a challenging time. The importance of having those difficult conversations with the people you care the most about. That it is okay not to be okay and admit that everything isn't great all the time. It's okay not to have all the answer, no matter where you are in life. And so much more. I know you're going to love hearing from Hugh, so let's get right into it. Welcome 
Well, welcome, Hugh. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's a surprise you were here. I thought we were doing it by Zoom. So that's yeah. a lovely surprise. But I've done so many podcasts over Zoom in this room, like I'd say hundreds over the last year. So like doing it face to face feels very strange. I'm going to tell you how I kind of got to be sitting here. When your book came out, I read your book, loved it. In my book, I encourage people to write down who they want to meet in their lifetime. Yeah. And so I put you that I want to meet you in person. Oh. And then I also put you, so I also have a like all my like dream guests on my podcast. So I put you on my po- podcast, but then, you know, we had a crazy year, 2020, yeah. and this homeschooling and lots of, you know, with Kiki K, etc. I just kept saying when the kids were homeschooled, I was like, this is resilience. This is great for them to kind of deal with what's happening because, you know, who knows what the future is going to be like. And resilience, great things, because I think our kids are so privileged, as you know, having seen what you've seen in India, etc. I just feel like, you know, this was a, not a good thing, but it was like a part of their education. So I wasn't the perfect a homeschooling parent at all. I then got asked by the school that my kids go to to speak about resilience just to year four, just because what I went through and, you know, I'm not an expert in resilience. And anyway, so, uh, so but I said yes, because, I, you know, whatever yeah. I can do to help because yeah. they do some, such an amazing teachers is just you know, angels and the head of school is just amazing and so inspiring. So I thought if I can help in some way, I will. Mm. And I have a book group and um, we had a, um, we could get together for the first time after COVID. And um, it was one of my friends have a, a farm out in the country, probably, you know, an hour and a half or two hours out of Melbourne. And I just really didn't have time to, because um, I had that talk like 9.30 or something in the morning. Mm. And uh, and I didn't really feel like I had the time, but I love our book group so much because they are such an inspiring group of people. I thought I'll decide at 3.30 if I could do it or not, just for the night and then stay over and then leave, you know, 6 a.m. or something. And I'm an early racer, racer yeah. so that wasn't an issue for me. And then at 3.30, I was like, yeah, of course I should go. Of course I should go. So I put your audio book on in the car. Yeah. So then I drove out there I read it before, but you kind of forget. I was just so inspired. And then when I got to the farm a little bit before I stopped and I was just like so grateful to have it, you know, having done that in a, you know, sometimes, you know, busy life or full life that we live. It was so nice to take that space, being in nature and having listened to yours and just, you know, all, uh, you know, I cried and I laughed. It was just so amazing. So, and then I was like, I really have to, I really have to uh, make this happen. So this is, this is why I'm here. Yeah. Well, it's a lovely story. We, um, I remember when Penguin Random House said, oh, do you want to get, we can get a voiceover person to read your book for you. And I said, oh, I'd have to read the whole book, wouldn't I? For the, and they said, yeah, you need to read it yourself. And I said, oh, that'll take forever. So they found a voiceover person and they got, I got to listen to someone reading. I was like, this sounds wrong. Like yeah. it has to be me doing yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. so it was an amazing experience. I actually read the book. It's not like you read it perfect cover to cover. Like it's like you'll do three sentences and then the person behind the booth will go, can you say that sentence again, but just a little bit slower? And you go, oh my, I was about probably a minute in when he said that. I thought this is going to take forever. It takes a whole week of like nine to five reading your book. Oh, absolutely. And I haven't looked at it since, to be honest. I can't handle like the (laughs) The same. And you know, one of my girlfriends actually is an audio publisher. So I did read through her. So you did the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, right. English is second language. It was so hard. You know, I'm pretty resilient and I'm pretty, I never give up, but I actually didn't want to do it. I knew that it was a good thing to do, similar to you, yeah. but I actually thought, 
I don't actually want to do this. Yeah, uh, and I and I and I had a deadline because I was going on a plane to Sweden, so I had a very short amount of time. And then my girlfriend, she put quotes because I love quotes. <laughs> she put quotes, and she was like, "Don't give up." And and she came and said because she said she knew when I will be saying I'm not doing this. Um, and I had so many other things like it was the last thing I wanted to do. Anyway, the guy, the, I think that changed like the guy like three or four times because I don't think anyone could cope. <laughs> <laughs> but I said to the guy, I said, do you feel like an English teacher? He said, no, more like a speech pathologist. Oh. <laughs> and I was so, I was so um, grateful that they <clears throat> stuck with me. I don't think anyone would except yeah, yeah. my girlfriend, so I'm forever grateful. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to you. Yeah. And um, before we get into your story, there is one question that I always ask uh, all my guests, and that is when you were little or young, was there any dreams in that you had um, in the future, you know, something you wanted to do or become? Same as your son, Axel. I just wanted to play cricket for Australia. It wasn't even really like a dream, maybe. I was just like, I will I will be playing cricket for Australia one day and I can't wait. That's yeah. like yeah. playing cricket in the backyard. We had a long backyard growing up. We're very like, such a huge backyard. We're very lucky. And um, I would had marched out a cricket pitch and I would just bowl and bowl and bowl all day. And I'd imagine... The crowd there to imagine scenarios in a game and i was like imagining commentators i'd commentate myself yeah we just listened to that chapter on the yeah radio. so i just kind of yeah i just wanted to play cricket for australia but there's another one that i don't talk about in fact i hardly ever talk about this one but i don't know when it started but i had this thing in my head that because we used to watch um, a comedian we had all billy Connolly's um videos growing up mum and dad used to watch them all the time like he would make them laugh more than anything i've ever seen i've never seen him laugh like this before and i had this feeling of like that would be great to make mum and dad laugh that much like yeah. and that became a thing of like i want to make mum and dad laugh like billy Connolly makes them laugh and the only way i knew that to do that was to tell stories right because that's what billy Connolly does he's the best storyteller in the world and so when i got into my teens i started thinking like i'd love to maybe do what billy Connolly does and i guess that's being a stand-up comedian but then part of me was like i don't i'm not going to do that that's way too hard like yeah. i don't have the courage to do that um but funnily enough what happens now is my job is to go and do presentations and i find the funnier they are the more engaging they are so i kind of go on stage and i make people laugh for an hour hour and a half but if they don't laugh they don't find it funny i've got this like security blanket of like well it's not me i'm not a comedian like i'm there trying to give you some things to help you to be happier but if they do laugh heaps i go like oh good that was a nice feeling yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. i kind of and i do it all through, everything i do is through storytelling so yeah. it's kind of like yeah one of my dreams to play cricket for australia that definitely didn't happen but i've got to work with the australian cricket team which is very exciting as you've heard yeah. in the book which is not quite playing for australia but then i suppose in a certain way like and i think for me like we'll probably get into it later on but i was always like inspired by my sister's mental illness as in like I felt this strong as the as the oldest sibling I felt like oh I have to help mum and dad be happy again here and telling them funny stories is sort of the way I did that and yeah. that's sort of become my job I suppose telling yeah. funny stories yeah <laughs> my audience for this podcast is global so from you know I think it's listed for over 190 countries now which is fascinating yeah, so I would love you to just maybe give a bit of a um, you know snapshot of who yeah. you are and about the resilient project they, I love to hear a little bit about your trip to India because I think that was so inspiring yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously with your sister etc so take the time you need yeah so I think the best way to answer that question and it's such a nice question to start with like I I think the resilience project exists for two reasons or for two people my sister being one of them yeah. and the other one's a boy I met when I was living in India so 2008 I was um, in fact maybe it's easier to start with my sister's story so 
14 years old, my mum and dad told me my sister had a mental illness, anorexia nervosa, an eating disorder. They said she doesn't like eating, issues with body image. And that was 1996, I was 16. And we didn't talk about mental health at school in the 90s. Never, never spoken about. So I had no idea what they were talking about. And they said, if she eats food again, then we'll know she's better. And I remember thinking, but people with cancer, like that, there's no cure for that. And I don't get how just eating, like, like if that's a cure, eating, this can't be that serious. Because I just didn't understand mental yeah. illness at all. In fact, I sort of um, resented my sister a fair bit for what she was doing to the family. And we had some awful times. And at 18 years old, she's in hospital, right? Because she's dropped below crisis weight and she was weighing in it. I remember the doctor said to me, um, and I got now how serious it was. I was, sorry, I was 19 and she was 17. Yeah. And the doctor walked into the room. It was her first day in hospital. And he said to me, um, well, he said, you got to go. He said, you can't be here. And I said, I've only been here two hours. And he said, you get two hours every day. And he said, but if your sister puts on more weight before tomorrow, you can stay for three hours tomorrow and more weight the day of that four hours. So it's up to, you know, you're her incentive, you need to leave. And I said, okay. And I said, how much weight does my sister need to put back on so I can stay for three hours tomorrow? And he told me her total weight, he, which I didn't want to know. I wanted to know how much she had to put back on. But he said to me, when your little sister gets back up to, she gets back up to 31 kilograms, I'll consider letting you stay for more than two hours. And that's... That to me is my memory. Is, I mean, she's not a short person either. Like she's five foot seven, five foot eight. It was like something from a horror movie. It was awful. Now, fast forward a few weeks, she gets out of hospital, but she wasn't better. She was still very sick. Yeah. Fast forward another couple of years, she's still sick. Fast forward another couple of years, she's still sick. And at the same point in time, when she's still really sick in her mid-20s, I'm in India. I was just meant to be backpacking around. And as a school teacher, I found myself missing the classroom. So I found a village to, to volunteer in. I ended up in this um, little... I had no money, and this is the truth of the story, but the reason I went to this school is I had no money. And they said, if you volunteer to teach English here, we'll give you uh, accommodation. You live with a principal for two weeks and you get food, three meals a day. And I thought, perfect, that's all I need. Yeah. But then when I got there, I had this feeling of like, it was like this shock of, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've never felt shock like this before, but I discovered in this village I turned up to, there's no running water, yeah. no electricity, no beds, everyone sleeps on the floor. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. What am I doing this? I shouldn't be here. I can't do, I can't sleep on the floor for two weeks. And I'm embarrassed to admit, I haven't actually said to the, I said to the principal, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean two weeks, I meant two nights. And he looks so shattered. He's like, no, you said two weeks. I was like, no, I meant two nights. Anyway, my next day was my first day in the school. And it was like a mud brick building in the middle of the desert. That's it. No chairs, no tables, dirt floor, no resources, no books, no pens, no paper. There's a chalkboard and one piece of chalk and that's it. I'm saying, there going, how on earth do I teach these kids English for the whole day? Where I've got nothing, I got nothing, and I felt so insecure, incredibly nervous, very anxious. And I, um, 20 minutes into the class, I met this kid whose name was Stunson. And I remember, at the end of that first lesson with him, I just thought to myself, never, never in my life have I ever seen joy like this before. Like this kid, he's the happiest person I've ever met. And I remember thinking, how, I was looking out, they don't have windows; they have these big holes in the mud brick wall to let the light in. And I'm looking across the desert and I'm thinking, there's nothing here. How's this kid, how these, I don't get how this kid's so happy. And I, the first week flew, it went like that. And I remember, I forgot I wanted to go home early. And I'm sitting there at the end of the week with this family drinking tea with them, thinking they're all, it was all the extended family, the neighbours, everyone's sitting in a circle in this mud hut about the size of this room here, which is not good podcasting by me. So everyone listening, it's a very small room we're sitting in. It's perfect. uh, Okay, (laughs) that's very generous. Um, And uh, we're sitting in this tiny room drinking tea and I'm thinking, this couldn't feel more foreign to me right now. And yet I couldn't feel more calm. And I just thought this is really, I remember thinking back then, I reckon these people are onto something. 
Um, no, that's not true. I thought, I reckon back home in Australia where I live, I think we're doing a lot wrong because we have everything in Australia. Yeah. We're the most amazing country. We call ourselves a lucky country and you know, beaches, the lifestyle, everything's incredible, but we have so many issues. Right? You know, in Australia right now, we're currently the second most medicated country in the world for anxiety disorder. Uh, we are one of the loneliest um, people in the world. Like the uh, research done a couple of years ago, two questions are asked of people in countries all over the world. The first question was, how many people know you well? The second question was, in a crisis, how many people can you turn to for support? Australians are right up there as the loneliest people in the world. And I'm thinking, and a lot of the bigger Western countries were, yeah. and bigger European countries. And I'm thinking, how's this possible? Like, we've got everything. Yeah. And yet, in this village here, they've got nothing. And I feel like I've never seen joy like it ever before. And so I couldn't help but think about my sister. It was my last night in the village. This is a very long answer to your question. Yeah, Sorry, no, Christina. But no, that's great. But I was lying on the floor and my plane was flying out the next day and I'm just thinking, oh, I don't think I can, I don't think I can leave here. I think I need to stay here. Like I, I need to work out what is it these people do every day that makes them so happy and what can I learn from them I can maybe talk to my sister about. Yeah. Um, and I ended up staying for three and a half months and I, for the three and a half months, I did everything these people did. I lived the life that, that they live and it had a profound impact on me. But I remember flying back to Australia thinking, nah, but I've always been a happy person. So the fact that makes a happy person happier, that's not what I'm after. I want to know this stuff's going to help someone who's really struggling, like my yeah. sister. So yeah, long story short, I, I went back to uni and looked at the research that sat behind these, the, 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 like the things these people are doing every day. Because I, I knew I wouldn't have much luck, especially in Australian audience. Australians can be very skeptical about stuff. Like, uh, Tell me what, they, what, what do they do that makes them happy? Um, well, yes. Yeah, so, so the things that they did, there were three things I practiced, and you are all over this. I mean, you, you're a pioneer of this stuff around the globally, so you're all over this. But um, they practice gratitude, yeah. um, they practice empathy, and they practice mindfulness yeah. every single day. Yeah. This is stuff that you've been promoting for a very long time. So yeah. this is nothing new to you. Uh, in fact, I remember being at, I think I was at Sydney Airport, and it was early on when we were doing the Resilience Project. I was looking for a present for my then girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and not, not my current wife now, but it was a, um, someone I was just saying, and a lovely person, didn't last that long, but I was like, I'd love to get her something from the airport. And, and um, I saw it's a Kiki case store, and I was like, I'm looking here, and I saw the gratitude journal, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I don't need to be doing the resilience project. Someone's already doing this gratitude stuff. Like, yeah, products are just so good. So gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness every single day. The kids, the adults, everyone practiced stuff, stopped and practiced this stuff. I stopped and practiced it for three and a half months life-changing yeah. and I didn't even think I needed you know back then a very happy person and I didn't but I just was felt so much happier and yeah just really changed my life forever and then funnily enough last year like you know I, a bit like you I think I've been quite lucky not too many not too many traumatic events occur in my life and then last year COVID happens and we're a face-to-face -face, we do face-to-face -face presentations yeah. around we had a whole year's worth of presentations booked out two presentations a day for a year and all of a sudden they're all cancelled and that was okay. Like I was kind of okay with that because we were able to, to go onto Zoom straight away and that was yeah. fine. But what I struggled with was in Melbourne, we had the harshest and longest lockdown of anyone anywhere in the world. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that because we now have no COVID here, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I had a three-year-old who had turned in, we'd been told about the terrible twos and we based ourselves on that, but no one told us about the threes. <laughs> I know what you call them, the psychopathic threes or something. <laughs> He's just turned four. I don't want to know what happens when they turn four, but... And we had a, a um, we had a baby daughter in February last year. So, and she doesn't sleep. Like she doesn't sleep at night. So we weren't sleeping. We're stuck in the house together. 
our son's a psychopath. He wasn't, sorry, he's a beautiful kid, if he ever listens to this. And I love him dearly, but he was challenging at that age. Yeah. And I found myself really struggling. And I was yeah. like, said to my wife, like, I'm really battling here. Like, and um, she said, are you doing all the stuff? Are you practicing what you preach? Like, yeah. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not doing the gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. And it's amazing how quickly I got back on track when I started practicing again. Yeah. And like you guys do with the journals, like the actual act of practicing this stuff, like having a physical thing to pick up and practice, it's huge. You talk about grat gratitude, obviously, but you are kind of doing, um, I think, um, three things that d you did well with yeah. which I loved. So, yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So, I, um, uh, one of my insecurities with the Resilience Project, and this is being very vulnerable with your audience, is that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor, and I've had you know, psychologists get up and say, well, this guy's not a psychologist, he shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. so I, I, my response to that is just to be make sure everything I do is research-based or evidence-based yeah. and just to make sure to, and, and I think it's important that it is as well, but um, I looked at the research behind gratitude and I saw one of the research projects done at University of Pennsylvania. The way they researched gratitude was with the question, what are three things that went well today? Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, I love what are you grateful for. Do you know, it might have even been because I saw you're already doing it. Yeah. Maybe that's why I thought, well, Kiki, how are you doing? What are you grateful for? Maybe we'll do it a little bit different so we're not, you know, there's no, we don't all need to be doing the same thing and, and you guys are doing it so well. I think that might have been a part as well. Let's do it a little bit different and say what went well for you. Yeah. Also, because I saw there was nice impact with that. And it's small things like it's, uh, for, for the, and I think we, we maybe have different audiences as well. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of, oh, I could be wrong here. Maybe you do have this audience as well. We have a lot of males that, footballers or like rugby yeah, league no, players. Yeah, I don't think we are, do have that actually. We, uh, we have mainly, fem especially for the Kiki K female, it might be different yeah. for the kind of dream life community. Um, yeah. As far as the journals go, maybe we've got a different audience yeah, perhaps. Yeah. And so I felt like maybe your audience would be really creative with that and say, what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for the moment today where I had a really nice coffee with a friend. Whereas I feel like our audience may meet maybe not as creative and will go, uh, my family, my friends, yeah. my house my job so I thought what went well maybe gave me an opportunity to focus on smaller things yeah yeah um, or little things that take place because I think the moments are the things we need to pay attention to yeah. we, need, we, we I mean gratitude's a funny one like for me it's the ability to pay attention to what we've got and not worry about what we don't have yeah. we have got so much in countries like Australia but we miss the things we have all the time so yeah. too busy worrying about the stuff we don't have the stuff we wish we had the you know, if I get this car, then I feel happy. And we get that car, then we see a nicer car six months later. Oh, I need that car to be happy, you know? Yeah. And so I think the journal for us, our what went well, was a lot about like, well, who's not practicing this stuff? How do we get them to practice this stuff? And what's the best way to get them to do it, I guess? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And uh, for us as a, as a family with kids, um, we do what we call the four Gs. And that is like... Um, one thing that they're grateful for, but it's often like, for, you know, as kids, it's often what, you know, for the day, what, what was a good, one good thing, yeah. um, the highlight of the day, which is like one good. So there's a grateful one good thing. This is yeah. why the four G's, because it's easy to remember, but yeah, it's really definitely. basically yeah. the highlight of the day, yeah. which is kind of good to kind of think through, because sometimes yeah. I think we just rush through the days and oh. we get to dinner and we, you know, it's the same conversation. So I love, I do this often when people come for dinner as well. It's just like, it's a different way of talking versus it's the same conversations. Yeah. So we do the grateful um, or the good thing, the highlight of the day, and then we do um, the goal for tomorrow to really think about if there was something um, challenging yeah, during nice. the day, yeah. um, you know, what can we do? What's the goal for tomorrow? And then we do the gram, which is Instagram. And this is the photo. We I'm a very visual person yeah. and I, I love beautiful yeah. photos. Axel um, is um, a photographer and loves 
photos. So we're all very visual people. And um, so we talk about the gram of the day. It doesn't mean that so they were done this since they were like, didn't even have phones or Instagram. But it was more just like, if you could share a photo today, which one would you do? Oh, and it, it's not really that you have to beautiful. take it. But it's more yeah, like, yeah. what was beautiful today? What was like a good thing yeah. to take photo? And that exercise has been and um, a lot of families that have um, we have passed that on to and it's a beautiful beautiful exercise to do because it's it's a com there's always something coming out like the highlight or yes. and sometimes we do add a question which has nothing to do with the G's but that is like the learning of the day because I think um, mistakes and failure and all those kind of things is, is not a failure as long as you learn from them so I think I even wrote about that in the book I, I've, I couldn't agree more I think like a yeah we there's wins and not wins and losses wins and lessons yeah, basically absolutely. and if you have that approach yeah. it's amazing how i don't know you just grow so much more and i think that's been a really fascinating thing with COVID is that we've all discovered that a lot of people are very uncomfortable with uncertainty and adversity but the irony is that's where we grow like yeah. that's that's where we develop absolutely. and grow when we're uncertain and so many of us have created these huge comfort zones for ourselves and and so we don't have to step out of them but whenever we do or we're forced to, that's where our greatest development takes place as human yeah. beings. So yeah. um, that's a lovely one. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one to introduce the kids. And it's amazing what they come up with. And um, when you have sometimes shy kids coming for dinner or, you know, f friends of our kids. And and uh, I just it's just amazing what they come up with. Mm. And um, the insights that we get as parents to their life is really amazing as well. Yeah. I'm all about dreaming and living your dream life, you know, living your best life, whatever that is. Could be small, could be big, whatever. But purpose is a, which I feel is a, is a big part of, of living your dream life to knowing your purpose. How would you help people finding their purpose? Because I know that you, that was like a bit of a thing in terms of um, getting into education. That was kind of your purpose, yeah. I think. I get asked a lot about purpose and purpose is such a, it's so closely aligned with joy, I think. Yeah. Like if you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, and that's just, how I do it. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, I get to do this today. Yeah. As opposed to, oh my God, I have to go and do this and it's, you know, it's not really what I love doing, but I have to, to pay the bills, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's a big, you know, when you have, auto you have um, autonomy over your day and yeah. I think it goes a long way to, in, to, to ensuring you're a, a relatively happy person. But so our podcast, Ryan Shelton, my co-host, he's been on a huge journey around purpose. Like, yeah. so for those who, those who are in Australia will know Ryan because he works very closely with Hamish and Andy on all their stuff. He helps them create their, their best friends with Hamish Blake since they were 13, 14. People overseas, um, he's a very well-known comedian in Australia. I am such a huge fan of his and have been for a long time. And I saw him in a cafe about four years ago. And I was like, oh, God, it'd be like a dream to meet Ryan Shelton. But I don't want to annoy him. He's only doing some work. But I went and sat next to him, like quite close to him, <laughs> and pretended I hadn't seen him. And I sort of turned around and went, oh, so I didn't, I'm just a huge <laughs> fan. I love what you do. You've, and, I, and I said to him, which is true, I said, um, I go to schools every single day and do talks on happiness. And sometimes I don't feel happy myself. So one of the things I do to get myself in a good mood is I watch your stuff on Instagram because it's so funny. And he was like really touched by it. He was like, oh gosh, that's, thank you so much. And then we talked about what I did for a little bit and we followed each other on social media, Instagram, but that was it. Yeah. And three years later, I got a direct message from him saying, can we please catch up? I need to talk to you. And I said, oh, absolutely. And we, we had a coffee and, and um, that's where this incredible friendship started. But he said to me, um, I just feel like my aim is to be the funniest person in Australia. Like that's, and my... My goal is to have my own TV show and have it be the best TV show in Australia the f and to be the funniest person in Australia. And he said, but I've just realized something. If I did get that, I don't think I'd be happy. I don't think it'd make me happy. And I said, yeah, well, it's a very like, I said, it's not really a purpose. I said, you need to. So I put him in touch with a friend of mine who talks about purpose a lot. And um, 
he said to me, I realized my purpose was to be the funniest person in Australia, which is a, it's not a very good purpose. And he changed his purpose after a little while. His purpose became to use creativity and humor to spread joy. Yeah. And he I said, so now when I get out of bed, it's like I'm creating content to make other people feel happy, not to be the best. Yeah. And he said, so if I make one person happy in the day, I'm living my purpose. Yeah. And everything I create now, and all of a sudden he's creating all this content. Yeah. All this amazing content because he's not trying to be the best he's just trying to help other people experience yeah. joy so often there's a couple of things there purpose when it's servicing other people it's very powerful and a very good one when it's helping other people I, there was never one point where i went right what's my purpose like i never explicitly thought that but i just kind of fell into it and yeah. but if i was to go back 10 years and someone said to me what's your purpose and do you want to live your life doing your purpose what i'd say to me 10 12 years ago 12 years ago was draw a triangle and the three points of the triangle have these three things. At the top have um, uh, passion. So like, what are you most passionate about? Yeah. Um, the other one would be, um, what are you bloody good at? Like, what are you much better than other people at? Yeah. And you don't need to show anyone, so you can be as arrogant as you want. No one will see this. Yeah. Um, and you can leave it at that if you want. And you go, well, what's, what's the meeting point between my passion and what I'm very good at? Well, how could I combine those two things? But then if you want to make it your, if you want to be able to live off this, there's a commercial reality to it. And so the other corner of the triangle to me would be like a dollar sign, like how do I make money yeah. from this if I want to do it every day and if yeah. I need money to, to do yeah. this. So for me, it was um, I'm very passionate about mental health and education. They're the two things. The thing that I feel like I'm good, I hope I'm good at or why the Resilience Project, because I love public speaking more than anything. It's my favorite yeah. thing in the world to do. I just a big audience. Is, it's a weird thing to love doing, but I just love it. Yeah. Most people rather die than yes, doing that. Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind of the thing of like, well, it's something I like to do and other people don't and I feel like I'm okay at it. Yeah. And that's that. And that's going, that's circling back to what we spoke about at the start with Billy Connolly. Like I always wanted to do this. Yeah. And then the dollar sign, I, I guess there's an appetite right now to, to talk about mental health and we need this stuff and um, people are willing to pay. We didn't ever charge too much, but um, yeah, it's just how do you commercialize yeah. those two things, I guess. And that's happened. I never de deliberately planned that, yeah. but that's the way it's yeah. worked out. I get to talk every day about what I'm passionate about yeah. and talking is what I love doing. So. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me about purpose as well, and also because I'm all about helping people live their dream life, whatever. They, a dream life is not a perfect life. It's not um, removed from mental illnesses, all that kind of stuff that is in, in everyday lives. It's more just about thinking about what you're passionate about, thinking about what do you love getting out of bed for, yeah. um, and also then um, what are your values in terms of what are you... What, yeah, nice. Because values, I think, is so important, yeah. um, and I... I, it's only since I started doing much more, um, I did a workshop on how, how to make 2021 the best year ever. And there was so much questions about values. And for me, it's like when you know your values, and one of my highest values is, is uh, personal growth and personal development. And, um, and once I realized that that was my, one of my highest values, I could start feeling good about spending money on all the books and the, you know, the courses that yeah, I buy and right. the, all the people that I go see all the time because that is what I love and got so inspired. And, um, and because my purpose is to inspire people to live their best life and one of the pillars is sharing. So everything that I learn, I like to share. That's why I have a podcast. Course, I, yeah. Yeah. But I think having values and knowing to what you can say yes and no to and not feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, so aligning that um, um, values, passion, purpose, and your dreams all together, then you live your dream life. Mm -hmm. And then ups and downs mm -hmm. and all in that, of course. But that's, yeah, um, that's how I kind of... Um, worked out the best way of kind of living your best life is yeah. having those aligned. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really nice. And I, 
I also think purpose can change. I think like your purpose can change throughout life. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I even feel like, so, so the purpose that I have articulated for myself is to help people to feel happier. Yeah. And that was kind of, and that's worked really well for the last sort of, since I discovered purpose about three or four years ago. I mean, I've been doing it for a long time, but as soon as I realized that was my purpose, it gave me this huge energy to keep going with these talks because I thought, because you sometimes get a really bad audience and, and people won't be into it or you'll get some negative feedback and it's really, but, I, but when I realized my purpose was to make people feel happier, if I didn't have a good talk, I could go home and make my son's day better or my wife's day better. And that yeah. was like, I'd go to bed at night, well, I've lived my purpose. But even now I'm starting to feel like I've done so many of these talks for so long and it's starting to get a little bit tiring again, a little more fatiguing again. I'm thinking maybe I need to shift a purpose a little bit more to, yeah. towards something. I mean, my, my, my wife and I have this conversation a lot. She's very career driven and she's very passionate and she's always been a little bit, um, I mean, she's stopped working now for four years now because of our kids, right? She hasn't worked and... And um, she said to me the other day, she said, you know, I, I need a date when we swap. Yeah. Like when it's your responsibility to look after the kids. It's yeah. your responsibility to take care of doctors, schooling, everything. Yeah. Everything's up to you. I, I need that date. And then so I can go back to work. And I was kind of a bit thrown by that. And I was like, but it's fair enough. And I said, oh, absolutely. But it's so we're living that right now. My wife trying to work out what she's going to do, whatever she's going to go into. And then me, you know. I can still work, but I have to organise the nanny. I have to organise a yep. kinder, all that kind of stuff. It's me, all that emotional. I mean, the amount of effort she puts in behind the scenes, yeah. it's, it's going to be my turn. And that's been a really challenging one as far as like, does my purpose shift there? Like, and, and do I need to articulate that and all that kind of stuff? So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that, love that, and um, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good I have a, I have a lot of uh, systems that I can help you with. Yeah, good, thank you, thank you. I'll need that. It's a whole other podcast. Oh, no, thank you. We can do we are systemize everything. Is yeah. um, is um, makes life easier. Yeah. That's for sure. It's one thing to have, you know, mental challenges ourselves, which I think is, in some way. It's not easy and easier, that's not the right word, but it's more like that's kind of in your interest to kind of work that out. But when you are dealing with someone else like you did with your sister, that's that could be really challenging because you can't really, you don't really understand it. And, and I could so, um, so I had a couple of friends that went through, or your sister went through, and as an outsider, it was really difficult to really know what to do. So what would, what would your, um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of listeners who can really relate to this. So how do we, as uh, you know, as people seeing someone with you know, mental challenges or really suffering um, be the best support? Yeah, I get asked this a lot also because my wife has OCD and we did a whole episode on our podcast on her issues with OCD and we were blown away by the response. We had yeah. no idea so many people battled yeah. with OCD, very, very common. And I think we, we talk about, and I'll get to the answer in a second, but we talk about OCD as like, oh, I'm so OCD with my bathroom or my car, or like, that's not OCD, that's just being fastidiously tidy. Like, OCD is when you can't leave the house because you just don't think you locked all the windows, yeah. even though you know you did, like yeah. that kind of stuff. I get a lot of parents coming up to me after my talks and saying, oh, my daughter's also got anorexia and what's what's our role in this and how should I be? And, and I was sort of giving advice as a brother, but actually, called mum one day and said what, what should I be saying to these mums that are coming to me like yeah. and mum said I just wish I knew a it wasn't my job to fix her and b I, yeah. I couldn't even if I because mum and dad nearly killed themselves trying to fix yeah. my sister they did everything for her yeah. and it was never in their power I mean they could be supportive and be there for the person when they were struggling but for my sister but they couldn't fix her and they felt the responsibility to fix her as all parents you know if my daughter Elsie goes through the same thing I have no doubt I will feel this 
enormous urge to to fix it but it's actually not our job and we can get really down on ourselves because we won't be able to fix it it's up to them yeah. essentially in the end so and i i fight that battle every day of my life like with her ocd i remember when we were first together we'd been together for about probably three or four months and she said to me i have anxiety and ocd and everything oh, i know lots about anxiety so i can really help here i can but i can't really like I, she's she's seeing a wonderful psychologist who's who's doing her best to help her but even you know she gives her strategies and stuff but it's it's something that we just sort of live with now like it's an ongoing thing and yeah. and um so, so my main thing i say to people with that is just to you you love them unconditionally which you probably already do um and don't be hard on yourself for not being able to fix them because you can't yeah I mean, we, yeah we just can't yeah that's a good one for because i think a lot of people be be um struggling with that so yeah, that's really uh, good yeah so yeah. thanks for sharing that and I know that your sister's doing really well now. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about her. Um, so my sister lives in Los Angeles and she's doing all types of things. She's got charities and non-for-profits and, and all types of things happening. But I mean, she's, she's back to a normal weight now. And um, it took, um, I think, so she was first diagnosed when she was 14. I think seeing, I think I saw her when she was, when she was 26, 27. I remember thinking, and we don't talk much about her eating disorder, but I remember thinking, I, I think she looks pretty normal again. Yeah. So that was a, probably a decade I think she struggled with. She's now 30, uh, what should be, 36, 37 now. And so, and she's uh, exercises, like loves her exercise. She's eating properly and she's good now. She, she does, um, it's funny, I, I didn't speak to her much before the book came out. We didn't speak much. And after the book, we forced to have some pretty difficult conversations because we saw things very differently. Yeah. And when I, I wanted to write really honestly about the experience of living with someone with a, mental illness but the problem was her memory of it was quite different yeah. and um so we had to oh, it's her story so i didn't want to upset her in the process but i also wanted to give my point of view on it and it was very difficult but we forced us to have conversations we should have had honestly 20 years ago yeah. Yeah. and ever since that i've i feel very differently about uh, my sister like i i didn't often think oh, i'd like to chat to my sister i wonder how my sister's going it's just too painful to sort of think about so i just didn't and now that we've talked about all this i often think oh, I wonder how my sister's going is she all right and you know she's in LA where she told me the other day every 10 minutes someone in LA dies from COVID like mm. it's really frightening so I think about her a lot now and we, and we talk a lot more than we ever have before and, and um so yeah I mean our relationship it's a, it's a nice one to for people who are listening if you have a, if it's a family member if it's a very close friend where you have some point of I don't know awkwardness or anxiety around your relationship or your friendship where you're not as touch for a certain reason like I know it's hard but speak to them just yeah. talk to them about it it's yeah. life's too short to yeah. you know my sister we had probably 10 years where I don't really talk to her that much like I love my sister and I know she loves me and there was no we never had a falling out there were no problems we just didn't speak that much and 10 years it's a long time like yeah. considering I grew up with her and you know she's family she's my sister and yeah. 10 years where we just had this awkward kind of energy between us where yeah. it wasn't a lot of unspoken stuff and as soon as we spoke about it all and it took me writing a book to actually get it out there but what i learned from that was that it can be awkward to start it off but you just got to talk to people about like yeah. these things because it it's just such an emotional burden or oh, it takes yeah. so draining yeah. it's so draining having that awkward thing happening with you i mean even our podcast ryan shelton had that with hamish blake like his best mate since they were um 15 since hamish became the most famous man in australia and the funniest man in australia Ryan had, was slightly resentful, slightly jealous because they were going to do it together and they didn't. And he couldn't even enjoy his comedy. So he didn't watch his shows. He didn't, be, he didn't listen to his radio show because he was just a little bit jealous he wasn't part of it. Yeah. 
And then because of this podcast we did, he actually had to tell Hamish he was going to talk about it. So I had this long conversation that was just, he, uh, I got a long message from Hamish a week later saying how unbelievable that conversation was because mm-hmm. he said, I didn't really know that he felt like that. I, I didn't invite him to do our commercial radio stuff because I didn't think he wanted to do commercial radio, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's all it was. Whereas Ryan's thinking, oh, it's because he didn't think I'm, he doesn't think I'm funny or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But now he's like, yeah. So it's been amazing to, to the amount of people that have felt inspired to just have difficult conversations yeah. with people they love yeah. to get their friendship or relationship back on track. Yeah. I don't think it's what you asked, but that's what we've got. With no, that. it's great. It's, it's, it, you know, and there's a couple of things here, being vulnerable, obviously, and yeah. then, but also silver linings, like, mm. you know, even in the most horrific things that you've gone through and a lot of people are going through right now, there are silver linings and, and that's completely how I, how I see the world. And in everything positive, there's a negative and every um, negative, there's a positive. So that's how I like to see, yeah, see, see the world. I will ask you a little bit about um, being inspired by others because uh, um, reading your book, there was a lot of cricketers and a lot of footballers yeah. and, and uh, I would love to, um, who has been the most inspiring person in your life, do you think? I guess different people have inspired me in different ways. Like I, I think a lot of people relate to this, but I, one of the things that's inspired me has been wanting to impress my parents. Like that's, I think a lot of people feel that we don't talk about that much. Like people don't, adults don't say, yeah, I desperately want mum and dad's approval, but I still, you know, we have good news. They're still the first people I call. They're very easy to please. They're not like going, oh, you should try hard. You should. They're just, they're very easy going, but yeah. I'm still very inspired by the thought of impressing mum and dad. I find quite inspirational. And them are very inspirational people as well. I'm inspired by their relationship for my relationship. Yeah. Uh, I said in my vows to Penny, we got married last year, no, two years ago now, I said, um, I said, I promised to set the example set by my parents and your parents. They're still together in a loving relationship. So. I find that I'm inspired by them. Uh, I'm inspired by anyone who is creative and tries to be creative in any way, who who just wants to create something that's not out there and, and um, people don't understand the failures that go along with that, the, the setbacks, the knockbacks, but the people who just create something that doesn't exist but they created, I'm very inspired by that. Uh, I'm inspired by Ryan on our podcast. I find him an incredibly inspirational person as far as a creative person he is. Uh, there's inspiration everywhere. I'll tell you who I'm inspired by, I've realised this recently. I'm inspired by people who have a go at me, like people who try and put me down and try and, mm, um, which I, well, I didn't realise I was, but I've realised recently I am because I, I um, there was a guy who used to teach at a school called, um, actually I won't say the school, but they're very big into wellbeing programs in, in, um, in Victoria and Australia, probably the leaders. Yeah. And he used to teach there and then I think he went out to set up his own business where he went and talked about similar stuff to me. Yeah. And part of his talk, he would say, oh, and don't listen to, if you've listened to Hugh Van Kylenberg, take it with a grain of salt. All he knows about is gratitude. He doesn't really know anything about anything else. So don't really listen to him. And that got back to me, like four people messaged me. So I just heard this guy speak and he said, don't listen to Hugh Van Kylenberg. And at first I was like, I was furious at first. I was so angry. Yeah. Uh, the next point I was like pretty hurt by it. And then when I sort of got through that, I was like, I'm going to do this. So because of you, if we're speaking to the same audience, I'm going, to, I'm going to be doubly as good as I was. Yeah. I'm going to be so good. And honestly, the amount of times I'm speaking to audience and I don't feel like it, and I'm like, no, nah, I reckon this guy's spoken to these people. I'm going to be five times better than he was. Yeah. So that is, he's inspired me. Right? Yeah. Like there was a, um, yeah. a lady said to me once through the AFL, the work I was doing with the AFL football club, she, she was working with the AFL PA, and she said, she said, it's a bit of a fad what you're doing, though. Like this won't exist in AFL clubs in a few years. It's like a lot of things. It's not going to last. I was like, at first I got really angry, 
then I got really hurt. Yeah. And then I was like, do you know what? Not only will this be around like in, a, in five, ten years' it's time, it's going to be massive. And it's because of you, because yeah. you said it wouldn't be. And, um, you know, the work we do at Port Adelaide Football Club now is probably the proudest work I've ever done with that group of boys. Yeah. And end of last year, I was exhausted. Oh, sorry, end of the year before, I was exhausted. And I was still flying out of Adelaide, Adelaide every week to work with these boys because I was like, because she said it wouldn't happen. I'm going to make sure. So people who, who doubt me and people who knock me yeah. behind my back, they inspire me to be yeah. better. I love that. Thanks for sharing. That is such a good point because a lot of people are so worried about what other people think. Even yeah. like people who comment that, you know, they don't even know or it doesn't really yeah. matter yeah. because, you know, there's some, so many people like that on the on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But I love uh, I love that. And I could relate that to someone said to me that it was going to be a, a fad um, with the Kiki K. And, you know, when I started and I was like, I'm just going to show them. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like so many of the the comments that I've got has actually fueled me to, to be better and try harder. Yeah. And um, and I often pass that on now because I think sometimes we are we're so worried about what other people think and there will always be someone because we don't like everyone. So yeah. that's just that's just how yeah. that's just how the world works. So totally. we don't ex- I kind of always think like if fifty percent that come across me, if they like what I do, I'm really happy. Like because I'm thinking there's it will be a lot of people who don't think that I do add any value, but there are certainly people who do so i think it's an interesting one you bring up there because there's so many books like about how to not care what other people think but i actually think when you care what other people think like i think businesses like ours have probably been successful because we're in touch with how people are feeling and what they're thinking and that's a real strength of it yeah so but the 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 downside of that is we're going to hurt when people say they don't like what we do it's going to hurt us yeah but I think you're just going to be strong enough to suck it up and cop it on the chin, get hurt by it. Like, don't think, oh, I should not I should not care about it. Like, let it hurt you and yeah. then let it fuel you yeah. and get real hungry to be better than you were yeah. before, I think. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld did a podcast with um, Tim Ferriss not too long ago, and he speaks about that as well. It was He had someone um, when he was 22 say, basically, you're terrible as right. a comedian and I'm not, I'm not giving you any opportunities, and he used that to really fuel him and said if it wasn't for that he doesn't know yeah so yeah Yeah. so I think it's a nice one to remember so everyone all these books about don't care what people think and courage should be disliked they're all all great books and I've I've learned lots from those things but there's nothing wrong with also caring what people think about you so this has been so inspiring I like to finish up asking a few quick questions number one is if you could give one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life what would you say that you are worthy of love and affection as you are right now. Mm. Like you don't need to be the smartest person, the most successful person, the funniest person, the best cricketer, whatever it is. Like as you are right now, you're worthy of love and affection. I think too many of us are desperately trying to do things to try and, like we all desperately want to feel like we belong and that that we're, and, and so often we're trying to prove that. But I think understanding that you are worthy like you're enough as you are right now. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and especially on social media has just blown that out of all proportion now. Like yeah. we see other people's lives and think, oh, I need to be like that or I need to be doing that or, yeah. and I'm not as good as looking as that person, whatever it is. You are enough to a young person right now. I wish I'd known that. I definitely felt worthy when I was at school. Like I loved school and did well at school and everything went. But when I left school, the security of school, and I was an absolute no one mm. at university, I didn't, I was desperate for love and affection and belonging and status within this in my life and I couldn't find it anywhere and I, and I just wish someone said to me hey just as you are right now yeah. 
you're worthy of love and belonging. Yeah, love that. Thank you. That's a great one for everyone. When you were talking before about, you know, really um, not thinking about what you want to have, but actually what you have. Every morning I go for a walk. Like I have a, I'm a morning person. And um, what time are we talking when you go for a walk? Yeah, in the morning? well, I, I, um, one of my dreams because I think life is, regardless how long we get to live, I yeah. think life is short. Yeah. So one of my dreams is to see as many sunrises as possible. Oh, and it's awesome. not, and it's not because of the beauty. It's actually because the magic when the sun gets out, like there's hardly anyone out there at first like yeah. you feel like you're just yeah. part of nature and um and so i i live by by the bay and um and so i walk um it depends on now we're on school holidays so i can walk forever um yeah. but um, sometimes it's you know an hour but mo most days probably an hour and a half in the morning so i get up 5 a.m most mornings but but saying that i i have you know periods in my life where I, you know, I don't do that. Sleep yeah. is most more important, but yeah. but I I'm pretty boring, so I go to bed <laughs> early. I love reading. So I'm What you time know, do you get yeah. to bed? Well depends. It, 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 there's no set time. Yeah. It's more um, you know, I often you know, when the kids go to bed I often go and read and um, I get a good sleep yeah. and um, um so but you know sometimes you know i didn't go to bed early last night and i still got up early because it just i, I it was when it's warm here i just love like um, i like the warm weather yeah. and um so i went for a walk anyway and and every morning I'm just so grateful first to be alive and then uh, all the amazing things that you see when you're out walking in the morning. And I think that's why it's not about the sunrise um, because I still do it even if it's raining. It's just that time of day when you just have some, you can, and I, I start with meditation. I am doing a challenge at the moment actually to, to meditate for longer. So I do Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you know of him, but um, he's um, um, brain researcher and uh, so he does quite, quite long meditation sometimes an hour and more so I um, I meditate first thing and then I always do some journaling because I'm, I'm a paper person and I think on paper and then I go for my work so it depends a little bit on so um, now when the sun gets up just you know after six but I like to be there just before it gets up because that's the most magic yeah, moment um, yeah. so I am curious have you got a morning routine and if yes uh, it doesn't have to be a perfect perfect one no, no, I, no one is perfect <laughs> I have realized recently I've been fantasizing about my having a morning routine yeah, unfortunately at the moment my morning starts when Elsie wakes up which yeah. is anywhere between 4:45 and 6 30 yeah. or 7 so yeah. and unfortunately it's like my morning at the moment is changing nappies getting breakfast ready for Benji and Elsie uh, and then getting ready for work myself. Yeah. When they are old enough to sort themselves out, yeah. I will have a proper routine. Yeah. In fact, my, so um, when was it? A few weeks ago, my wife and the two kids were away. They were down at the beach and I had the house to myself for a week mm -hmm. and I had a morning routine yeah. and I loved it. Yeah. And I just felt so different about my day. Yeah. Like, so to me, typically it would, it would have to involve exercise. Yeah. The most incredible way to start your day, as you just said, but um, I run, I do a lot of running athletics like track running. Yeah. And so ultimately that's the best way to start the day for me. But if it's a rest day, I'll swim in the morning. So I go into the local pool, swim. And then afterwards, I've just started doing this in the last couple of months, but have a cold shower, yeah. three minutes in a freezing cold. I heard someone say it's like, for them, it's the most important thing for their mental health. And I was thinking, how's that even? Yeah. But I can't explain it, but it's so good. Yeah. It's awful at the time, but you feel great afterwards. And then really healthy food. So um, uh, I've been having smoothies that have berries, oats, banana, water, uh, chia seeds, hemp seeds, uh, and a bit of protein in there, yep. and healthy food. Yep. 
and if I can squeeze in a bit of time to read the paper, that's just like the ultimate. Yeah. That is the ultimate. But um, yeah, it's, unfortunately, I'm on Benji and Elsie's schedule right now, not yeah, my Yeah, and I so. think, you know, everything has its stage and a lot of people actually ask that when they have young kids and I'm like, you can do anything, but not everything at once. So when you're through that, it's hard. Um, yeah. Uh, but even have it like you know once a week or something is is you know just kind of start working towards that where you take you take time um, with your yeah. partner to to have that it's just it makes such a difference yeah. i think i just feel like morning if i have a good morning my it doesn't really matter how my day goes because i feel like i yeah. had my time morning's are huge. yeah morning's and are huge, because yeah. i like you know i like the solitude and this you know really quiet yeah. mornings um that's important to me but thank you for sharing um such an avid reader that's what i spend most of my time doing when i can i'm interested to know do you have a favorite book and if yes why the, my, like my favorite book to read is biographies of runners yeah. like i love i've just finished reading a book by um and these are books that no one have ever read before but peter norman uh who was an athlete in the uh, 70s in australia ralph dubell was an athlete in the 60s and 70s in australia last person to win in a gold medal for australia on the track um i just love reading their books and yeah. I, <laughs> and I, and I like i lie in bed next to my wife who's reading something and I'll go, did you know that in 1974, Ralph Dubell ran this time in, my, in like, I don't know, she's like, I don't care, stop telling me this stuff. So <laughs> what I read, no one else will listen to. But I tell you, the, the, the most helpful book I've probably ever read has Lost Connections. Yeah, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Yeah, okay. Um, I haven't read that. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Oh. Yeah, I had him on my podcast. Um, it was a bit like you, like I was like, oh my gosh, if I could... So I sent his management an email and just, I was like, I'll never hear from him. And then he called us the next day and said, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow if you want. I went, what? So he's unbelievable, Johan Hari. He's a journalist who, who suffered depression from the age of 18 and been taking antidepressants for 12 years. And he realized that he was in this cycle of like, he'd feel better for a couple of months. Mm. Then it started, the feeling started to come back and he'd go to his psychologist a year later and I'd say, oh, we'll just up the dosage. And then when he was 30, he got to the maximum dosage. And, and then he had this thing of like, and I'm not feeling any better again. It's gone back. So... He went on this world trip to discover what are other people doing mm. aside from their medication to help them feel better. And what he found was that um, it's, a, it's a loss of connection that's causing the biggest mm. issues we have right now in society. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah I'm going to read that book. Thank you. I'm lost gonna, connection, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to um, add that to the show notes so people can yeah, read that. Lost that connection. Good. Yeah, lost connection. Yeah, listen to the podcast too, so I'll, yeah. I'll link to that as yeah. well. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'd love to know if you have a favorite Kiki K product or if not, a favorite stationary product. Um, well, I love the feeling of journaling. Like, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, and the gratitude journal that I saw at Sydney Airport, um, I bought it for this girl I was talking about, but I ended up keeping it for myself and I used it myself because like, on the plane I was like, I had nothing to do for the flight. And I was like, because the TV thing wasn't working, I was like, I'd love to write on this, but it's a gift. Yeah. I was like, I really, really, I just, no, nah, I'm keeping it for myself. And so I wrote it myself. And so, so the gratitude journal is, yeah. is um, I just love. What I love, though, about the Kiki Go products is just that, like, it's, it's such a good-looking thing to have when you're walking around. Like, when, and, and we tried to emulate that. I was like, it needs to look good. Like, it needs to have a, and we don't have that. Unfortunately, we're not the most fashionable, creative people. We're creative, but not really fashionable. So our journals don't look as good as yours do. But we, I just love how good they look, the journals. I love it. I think yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I think if you can combine, I mean, for me, one of my passions when I started Kiki K was I looked at all the things that I wanted to have my dreams. And one was to work with Swedish design because that's just how I grew up. And that's 
you know, that's what I love. And um, if you can combine, you know, good messages and good content mm. together with beautiful design, I think it's a nice combination. Totally. So thank you for yeah, saying no that. Worries, no <laughs> thank you. And one last question. If you could go back to your younger self, um, perhaps similar to what you said before, yeah. so maybe it's the same answer. Say when you were in your late teens, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah, well, I can give you another one earlier. We said that you're worthy of love and affection, yeah. but oh, I, I think stop acting like everything is totally fine all the time and you're always great. Because I yeah. sort of felt this pressure that, like as I work my way through school, my, I, I see a psychologist. I started seeing a psychologist last year and the first session I had with her, I said, oh, look, I don't have a mental illness, so I probably only need to chat once a month or something. That's fine. Yeah. She says, yeah, whatever. She, I ended up seeing her once a week last yeah. year. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever done. And when she said to me, she said, oh, so I'm going on leave. I won't be back till February. This is in December. I said, whoa, 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 what do you mean? And she said, well, I, I won't be working. I said, but we can still do this by Zoom. She said, no, no, I'm not working. I was like, what do you mean? What am I meant to do without you? So, and so, but one of the things I realized was like through school, school's great for me, like love sport and did well. They socially loved everything. So I thought, good, I've made it. That's it. I was 18. I was like, good, I've worked out everything. And then I felt this pressure. I had to maintain that level of success, achievement, popularity, happiness, laughter, everything had to be at the same. And, and I felt like it was never okay to say to someone, oh, I feel quite lonely at the moment or I feel like yeah. I feel really lost at the moment. Like I'm doing a uni course. So I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if like what's, what job do I want to do? I feel like, but I didn't want to tell anyone. I wanted everyone to think that I was always in control and I was a great person to be around because you're always going to have a good time with me and nothing bothers me. It's, I'm fine. I never have negative emotion. I would love to go back and go, hey, if, if you're feeling lost or lonely or uncertain, insecure that's fine like that's life like and i realized that that's probably the advice i will give myself if i was a 60 year old coming back to now as a 40 year old it'll probably be similar like like you're gonna have ups and downs and life's gonna be really hard and there'll be times when you don't feel good and that's like that's okay you don't have to have the answers because you're 40 like i think as a 40 year old you go like by 40 i'll have everything sorted no nah. <laughs> like i have got so much stuff that i'm yeah. no idea about and i think I'm glad you asked that question because it's a reminder for me right now just to go, hey, you don't have to have all the answers. Like, yeah. yes, you've got kids and a house and all that stuff you thought you wanted to have and it's great, but that doesn't mean you've got the answers to everything. Like, just be humble, listen a lot. I think especially white men my age and above need to start listening a lot more. We've talked way too long about and and yeah, we just need to, I just need to listen a bit more and be, be a bit more kind of humble. And I mean, I like to think I'm a humble person, but in regards to society and minority groups and that kind of stuff, I think, um, how am I answering this question? I'm answering the question by saying um, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have the answers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I great answer and I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things going through a really tough year last year, I decided to actually really enjoy it because I do love personal growth and I know that there is a lot of um, good things coming out of a challenge time. It's never fun when you're right in the middle of it and uh, it's often you can't see the silver yeah, linings yeah. until you get out of it and sometimes you don't, you just get out of it for a little bit up for air and then down again. Yeah, yeah. But I decided, you know, in my, I, you know, the connection and things that was, everything that you said today is just so aligned with the way I think and um, last year I spoke to my girlfriend she lives in Sydney, my best friend, and um, I spoke to her every single day day at least once a day sometimes more I used to say to her lucky us that have so many issues and challenges because we have so much to work on and because yeah. I think I think we we as you know especially when you know when you you know finish school and starting out in life in in some way you think it's all kind of sorted but 
I think if you had that sort, it'd be such a boring life. So, so I actually now, even though you know it's never fun when you you know going through tough tough times, but if you know that you'll get through it, and because of that, you you'll you know have better understanding of the world, and you know you understand It'll yourself you, better, yeah. and and, yeah. and and you will create a new version. And so I always think now that I'm just going to be a better version of myself all the time. And yeah. sometimes a better version doesn't mean better in terms of anyone else, but it's just really what you go through, and right. um, and that's how I how I choose to see the see my life, but not. Not perfect in any way. Of we, we have very similar views on yeah, the world. Yeah, very yeah. This has been such an amazing conversation. Exactly what I thought it would be in terms of amazing, but so many great insights for our listeners. So, thank you so much. Not just for this podcast and for ticking off a couple of my dreams today, <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, for all the things that you're doing in the world. And every I I meet a lot of teachers. We at Kiki K, we have a lot of educators loving our products. Yeah, I think I'm teachers, not planners, yeah. and you know to do lists and organize. Yeah. And uh, I always, as soon as I'm like, have you read Resilience Project? Because I think um, that it's so helpful for obviously the educators. So what you're doing is incredibly inspiring and um, very appreciated. I hear so many good things about your presentation. So I cannot wait to see that in person. Well, that means a lot coming for you because you've pioneered a lot of this stuff. So um, yeah, that's lovely. So thanks for having me on your, on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I loved speaking with you. And I am so inspired by all the work he's doing through the Resilience Project. Gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness are three things that I have always believed strongly in. And I completely agree with you that these messages and practices should be taught in schools to give young people, as well as adults, the tools to help them live happier lives. I love the work that you and the Resilience Project are doing, and I encourage everyone to read his book and discover the simple practices he speaks about. We have provided links in the show notes to the book and also to the Imperfects podcast. You will also find links to some helpful products that we have created at Kiki K to help you develop your own practices around gratitude, kindness and mindfulness as well. If you love this episode and have been inspired to make any positive changes after hearing it, I would love you to join my private Facebook group, Your Dream Life Podcast, so you can share and learn with a group of like-minded listeners. I have put a link in the show notes as well. We have so many more inspiring guests lined up for the coming months, so please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any, and don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I love hearing from you and I'm so incredibly grateful for all the comments. So thank you so much. If you want to see more about what's happening in my world, you can always follow me on Instagram at Christina Kiki K. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. And of course, don't forget to dream big. Mm-hmm.